Good morning, church family. It's such a great joy to come and worship together with God's people, uh, His spirit-filled people, and to come and remember all that God has done for us in giving us His Holy Spirit. If you have your Bibles, uh, please turn with me to John 14. John 14, chapter 4, chapter 4, John 14, verse, that's what I was missing, verse 15 to 21, John 14, 15 to 21. Uh, I'm sure you would agree there's no Christianity without Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and there's also no Christian without the Holy Spirit of God. And so with it being Pentecost, we would do well to, to take this opportunity with both hands to reflect upon and to remember and to rejoice in all that the Lord has done for us in His Holy Spirit. And this particular passage, I hope, encourages us with the truth of the Spirit's indwelling and motivates us to delight in our God and to serve Him more faithfully. And so if you have your Bibles, please read with me verse 15 to verse 21. This is the word of the Lord that's here together. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I'll ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Only so far in the reading of God's word may reform our lives to its truth. Uh, let's pray together. Oh, to be saved from myself, dear Lord. Oh, to be lost in Thee. Oh, that it may be no more I, but Christ that lives in me. Heavenly Father, may that be true of us. May that prayer be true of every heart that's here today, that we would desire less of ourselves and more of Your Son and more of Your Spirit. We do not take Your Word even this morning and apply it to our hearts. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, when I've had a difficult day, and when I feel discouraged, I found that one of my biggest comforts or greatest comforts is to be with my family. I'm sure you would say the same. After a day that's been trying, it's good to just sit with Bronwyn and talk with her, even though she does all the talking. She's not you now, I can say that. <laughs> After a day that's been difficult and trying and tiring, it's also good to sit on the floor with the girls and play with them, even though I'm more tired afterwards. I'm sure it's true for every single one of us. Our families are a great source of comfort to us. They are gifts from God that remind us that we're not alone. Now, if that's true of our families, then how much more so is it not true of our God? 
Our God who promises again and again that he will never leave us or forsake us. Our God that draws near to us and he's present with us. I think I've shared this quote often. Bernard of Claveau once said that the greatest gift that God gives is himself. And it would be equally true to say that the greatest comfort that God gives is himself. We see that fact throughout Scripture. The fact that we serve a God who is near to his people is the greatest comfort of his people. You see this throughout the Scriptures, throughout the Psalms, for example. Psalm 119, verse 150 says this, They draw near to me to persecute me with evil purpose. And the very next verse says, But you are near, O Lord. You see this theme in Psalm 34, Psalm 46, Psalm 121, Psalm 145. Again and again, the greatest comfort of God's people is the fact that God himself is their comfort. And we see this truth beautifully displayed for us even in our passage with the Lord Jesus Christ. In the context of our passage, Jesus is preparing his disciples for his departure, and he knows that when he leaves, they'll be discouraged. He knows they'll be distraught and despondent. And knowing all of this, he comforts them with this wonderful promise. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. In other words, I will not leave you helpless and defenseless. I will not leave you or forsake you. No, I will be with you. And dear friends, that is the greatest comfort for the Christian. That is the greatest joy of every disciple. Our God, our Savior, is not far removed from us in our trials. He is not unmoved by our discouragements. No, far from it. Listen again to that promise. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. What a comfort that ought to be. But the question becomes, however, what does Jesus mean when he says that? When, what does he mean when he says, I'll come to you? Does he refer to his resurrection? Well, no, after his resurrection, you know, he ascends and he leaves them. So, so what does he mean? Well, he comes to his disciples through the Holy Spirit. Jesus will come to his disciples and be with them by sending the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. See, Jesus has not left his disciples as helpless orphans. He's not left his church all alone. No, he sent another like himself, a helper, a Holy Spirit who will be with them forever. In fact, there was the church father Tertullian that said that the Holy Spirit is in Latin the vicarious Christi. That is, he's the vicar of Christ. He's the representative and substitute for Christ. It's in the Spirit that Jesus is present with his people. That's why Paul can say in Romans 8, 9, the Spirit, there is called the Spirit of Christ. That's why Galatians 4, 6, Paul says that God has sent His Spirit, the Spirit of His Son, into our hearts. See, Christ is present with His people in His Spirit. Yes, He might not be physically with us. He might not be physically next to you, but He's dwelling in you spiritually through the Holy Spirit. 
Dear church, beloved of God, if you believe upon Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, if you have been born again and have become a disciple of Jesus Christ, know this, you are not an orphan. You are not alone. You've not been left or forsaken. You have Jesus with you, dwelling within you through his Holy Spirit. And therefore, on a day like this, on a day of Pentecost, we ought to take heart in and rejoice and give thanks for the gift of the Holy Spirit, the gift given to us by the Father from the Son, a gift in which God himself is present with his people. This truth should comfort our hearts. Listen to this poem by one author. No distant Lord have I, loving afar to be, Made flesh for me, he cannot rest until he rests in me. Brother, in joy and or pain, bone of my bone he was. Now with many closer still, he dwells himself in me. I need not journey far, this distant friend to see. Companionship is always mine. He makes his home with me. I envy not the twelve. Nearer to me is he. The life he once lived here on earth he lives again in me. Ascended now to God, my witness there to be. His witness here I am because his spirit dwells in me. O glorious Son of God, incarnate deity, I shall forever be with thee because thou art with me. Did you, friends, when we understand this truth, it leads our hearts to rejoice. And it leads our hearts to find comfort. Now, this morning, I, I, I want us to see three things that we must give thanks for for the Holy Spirit. Three reasons we, why we ought to praise God for the Holy Spirit. And by noticing these three reasons, I trust that we'll not only find comfort, but it will motivate us to a closer walk with Christ in the Holy Spirit. Firstly, uh, let us give thanks for the Spirit who enables us to obey our God. He enables us to obey our God. Many people separate verse 15 from 16, but we should actually read them together. Look at verse 15. If you love me, Jesus says, you will keep my commandments. And I'll ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. So Jesus here firstly tells his disciples that if they love, love him, they will be obedient. Which reminds us, doesn't it, that true love, true love for God is evidenced in obedience. We see this in the great commandment. When Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He told us, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind, might and love your neighbor as yourself. But, but notice what Jesus says here. He says that he'll ask the Father to send another helper, that is, to send the Spirit. Now, why does he say that? Why does he say he'll send the Spirit? Well, because Jesus knows that in and of ourselves, we are utterly unable to keep God's commandments. In and of ourselves, we are utterly unable to obey God and love Him. Dear friends, do we not all know this, that within us there is this natural inability to, to love God, this natural inability to, to obey Him as we ought? 
Tell me who here has loved God with all of their heart, mind, soul, and soul, who's loved their neighbor as themselves? That we fall woefully short, and Jesus knows this. He knows that we're all dead in our trespasses and sins. He knows that none is righteous, none seeks after God. He knows the world loves the darkness more than the light. And Jesus knows, therefore, that without the empowering of the Holy Spirit, we are utterly and completely unable to obey God and love Him. And therefore, Jesus says in John 6, 63, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. And so given this inability that is latent to our very nature, should we not rejoice? Should we not find comfort in the fact that we have the Spirit of God who enables us to obey God's commandments now? Uh, this is tied to the new covenant, isn't it? In Ezekiel 36, 26 to 27, God promises the Spirit in the new covenant who will give us a new heart, new desires, new affections, new abilities. In fact, more than that, He will help us to, to walk in God's ways. See, it is because of the Spirit that we can obey God as we ought and love Him as He deserves. And dear Christian, this should move you to give thanks. This should move you to find comfort because none of this is due to you. And none of this is a result of any of your doing. The, the Holy Spirit is sent as a gift, not a reward. Uh, notice Titus 3, 5. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. And so, dear believer, what should be your response to this, to what God has done? It should not be praise and glory to God. But notice the language that Jesus uses. That Jesus uses. He says the Father will give another helper, parakletos in the Greek. That is to say the Father will give another of the same kind, someone like Jesus who comes alongside to comfort and help and mediate. And now to be sure there's some debate about what, what that word means, that word parakletos means. Some say it refers to the Spirit being a helper or a comforter or an advocate. And, and which is it? Well, it's, the answer is yes. It's all three. But I think we can avoid the debate by just simply asking the question, what kind of parakletos was Jesus? See, if the parakletos was another like Jesus, then we need to look at how Jesus was our parakletos. Now think of Jesus' earthly ministry very quickly. He lived a life of perfect obedience to the Father. And as our parakletos, he lived the life that we were meant to live. He lived a life of righteousness for the sake of those who were unrighteous. And now he sends the Spirit. He, he sends the Helper to come, and he enables us now to, to live the life that we were meant to live. He enables us to walk in the righteousness that Christ has purchased. I love the way that William Temple illustrates it this way. He says, it's no use giving me a play like Hamlet and telling me to write a play like that. Shakespeare could do it. I can't. 
It's no use giving me the life of Jesus and telling me to live a life like that. Jesus could do it. I can't. But if the genius of Shakespeare could come and live in me, then I could write a play like that. And if the spirit of Jesus could come and live in me, then I could live a life like that. Dear friends, that's exactly what the Spirit does. He enables us to live a life in Christ, reflecting Christ in the righteousness of Christ. Not only imputing Christ's righteousness to us, but imparting that righteousness as we live and walk in His ways. And, and all of this must be your greatest comfort, dear believer. In our obedience to God, in the difficult, hard work of sanctification, often marked by our weaknesses and our sins and our failures, we do not work in our own strength, in our own might. We do not pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. No, in all of this, Jesus says, we have a helper. Uh, remember what Paul says, Philippians 2, to 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And, and, and so, dear friend, here is your comfort Despite your inability, despite your failures, despite the many times that you've messed up, know this, the Holy Spirit is your helper. Your God has not left you helplessly in your inability. No, He has given you His Holy Spirit who enables you to walk in His ways, to obey your God. And surely, if, if we grasp this, if we see the, the presence and feel the presence of the Spirit within us, this should lead us to renewed obedience. If the Spirit enables us to obey our God in love, then, dear Christian, be renewed to walk in the Spirit, who gives you the ability to do this. You do not have to walk in your own strength but walk by the Spirit of Christ. See, not only did Jesus live, for, live and die for us for our salvation, no, He lives in us through His Holy Spirit for our sanctification. There is in Christ both pardon and power. And therefore, as you obey God, as you walk in His ways, we live in Christ depending upon Christ. So that's the first thing I want you to see. We need to give thanks to the Spirit who, who enables us to obey our God. Secondly, I want you to see we need to give thanks for the Spirit who enlightens us to know our God. He enlightens us to, to know our God. Look with me at verse 17. He says, Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. See, contrary to the world that is blinded in their hostile rebellion, contrary to the world that suppresses the truth in unrighteousness, that prefers darkness to light, the disciple of Jesus is encouraged because he knows God. 
They will know him, and they will know him in his triune beauty. Now, where do I get that, that idea of the triune beauty of God? Jesus speaks of them knowing the Spirit. How do they know the triune beauty of God? Uh, look with me at a few verses uh, when we see what is described or how Jesus describes the Spirit of truth. Look firstly at John 14, 6 to 7. A well-known passage, Jesus says there, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known the Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So Jesus is saying this, to know the Son who is the truth is to know the Father. See, if you've seen the Son and known the Son, you've seen and known the Father. Now, now, keep that in the back of your mind. Listen to what Jesus says in John 15, 26. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And I'll think about what Jesus is saying. Not only will the disciples know the Spirit, that's what our passage teaches, but in having and knowing the Spirit, they will know the Son. And in having and knowing the Son, by implication, they will know the Father. The point is this, by the Spirit, we get to know something of the glory and the majesty and the joy of the triune God. In the Spirit, we not only know the Spirit, but the Son, and not only the Spirit and the Son, but the Father Himself. Now, we should not take this for granted. By nature, not only do we have an inability to obey God, but by nature we are ignorant of God. Uh, listen to what Paul says, 1 Corinthians 2, 14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them. Uh, listen to what Paul says to the, about the Gentiles in Ephesians 4. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Realize this, dear Christian, that's who you were. Darkened alienated, ignorant of God, yet thanks be to God, you have the Spirit of God and you've come to know something of the glory of God. You've come to know something of the God who has made you, who has redeemed you, and who fills you. And again, here is your comfort, dear Christian, despite your own ignorance, despite your own weakness, know this, the Spirit is your helper. Your God has not left you helplessly in your ignorance. No, He has given you His Holy Spirit who enlightens you to know your God. And, and therefore, dear Christian, should you not press in to know this God more and more? If He's given His Holy Spirit to dwell in your life, in your heart, to know God, should you not desire to, to know more of Him? 
Hosea 6 gives us this exhortation in verse 3. Let us know. In fact, let us press on to know the Lord. He's going out. He's sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. Press on to know your God. Now, now where must you press in? Where must you go to know this God further? Well, firstly, press in in prayer. See, there's a spirit who helps us in prayer. When we don't know how to pray as we ought, it's the spirit who helps us. It's through prayer that we commune with our God. Also, press in through the Word. The Spirit illuminates the Scriptures that He inspires. And if you want to know who He is, you want to know this God more, take up and read. And press in to know Him in the church where His Spirit dwells. He's not somewhere out in the bundus. He's among His people, indwelling their hearts. If you want to know where God is, look at the church. See, if you want to know your God more and more, then seek Him in prayer with His Word among His people. Yes, it is actually as simple as that. Why? Because God has given us His Holy Spirit to enlighten us to know our God, and therefore let us press in even to the simple means of grace that He's given us. Thirdly, let's not just give thanks for the Spirit who enlightens us to know our God. Let us give thanks to the Spirit who enlivens us to enjoy our God. Uh, look with me at verse 18 to 21 again. Look what Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you in a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me, because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Now, let's remember the context of what Jesus is saying here. He's preparing his disciples for his departure. Not only has he tried to uh, encourage them with the Spirit, but he's trying to encourage them also with the resurrection. See, not only has he lived, in, uh, lived for them in his righteousness, but he has gone to the cross to, to pay for their unrighteousness. He spent three years with these disciples, and he knows that they will be discouraged. He knows that they will have fears. And so he comes to them and encourages them with this truth, this good news of the resurrection. Look at verse 19. That's the point. Because I live you also will live. So even though he'll be taken from them, even though you'll be put to death by evil men, they will see him again and they will live because he lives. Now realize Jesus is essentially saying this, because I have been raised to new life, you will be raised to new spiritual resurrection life. And notice the blessings of this life. In that day, he says, you will know that I am in the Father and you in me and I in you. You will know something of the presence and the enjoyment of God. Jesus is saying, you will be in me, I will be in you, and guess what? We will all be in the Father. 
Jesus promising his people new life, new intimacy, new enjoyment with God. And how will they enjoy this life? Well, you've guessed it, to the Spirit who indwells in the Spirit who resides in His people, the Spirit who enlivens them to enjoy their God. He will give them new appetites to see and enjoy their God. First John 4.13 says this, By this we know that we abide in Him, that is God, and He in us, because He has given us of His Spirit. Again, this should be a comfort for us. God has not left us as orphans. No, He has promised to come to His people and His people to enjoy His presence. What a comfort this ought to be. There's no greater comfort in this world than this, than knowing, not just in knowing God, but in enjoying Him in His presence. I've shared this verse many a time, and it's a great encouragement to me, but listen to what David prays, Psalm 16, 8 to 11. I've set the Lord always before me, because He is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad, my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At the right hand, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Do you know why Paul can say rejoice in all things? It's because you have the Spirit in all things, dear believer. And so, dear Christian, What comfort is yours? What comfort and privilege is yours? Are you not the very temple of the living God? That's what 2 Corinthians 16 promises. Are you not being built into a dwelling place for God himself? That's what Ephesians 2.22 says. Are you not a recipient of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit? Romans 14, 17. Are you not filled with with the love of God because the Spirit has poured that love in your heart? Romans 5, 5. Oh, dear Christian, what comforts belong to you? What privileges are yours? This is my wonderful story. God to my heart has come The triune God of glory finds in my heart a home. That's the song of every believer who knows and senses the gift and the privilege of the Holy Spirit. Again, don't let don't let us take this for granted. Remember who we were before. Before we don't just we we were just unable to obey God. We were we didn't just have an ignorance of God, but we were by nature isolated from God. Uh, remember Ephesians 2:12. Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Seeing the Holy Spirit, the vicarious Christi, the, the vicar of Christ, the believer gets to enjoy God. 
And that should be a comfort, despite our isolation, despite our fallenness in this world and finding ourselves in exile in this world. Know this, the Holy Spirit is your helper. God has not left you helplessly in your isolation. He's given you His Holy Spirit who enlivens you to enjoy your God. Again, what privileges and honors belong to you, dear believer? You get to know God and enjoy Him. But can I ask you, is that how you would define your Christian life at the moment? Can you say that your life is characterized by knowing God and enjoying Him? If not, why not? Is there perhaps any sin, worldliness, laziness, unbelief that that robs you of that joy? If there is, the only response ought to be is to remember the life and death of Christ. Believe upon Christ, ask Him to, to forgive you of your sin, help Him to cleanse you of all unrighteousness, because He is faithful. He has given His Spirit so that we would enjoy our God. So this morning we've looked at the Holy Spirit, who, who is rightly called, I believe, the vicarious Christi. If you're a believer, hopefully you've been somewhat encouraged by this, knowing that the Holy Spirit enables you to know your God, to, enables you to obey your God. That shouldn't be up there. That shouldn't be there. That should be there. Enables you to obey your God, enlivens, enlightens you to know your God, and enlivens you to enjoy your God. And see, all of these blessings are bestowed from the Father, through the Son, in the Holy Spirit. We do not have a God who is far off and far removed. Now, these blessings offer us this assurance our God has not left us as orphans. He is present with His people. As I close... Uh, allow me to give two words of exhortation. I've tried to make this more encouragement than exhortation. But let me give you two exhortations. If you're an unbeliever here today, are you ready to acknowledge that you know nothing of any of these blessings I've spoken about? If If you're not united to Christ by faith, know this, you know nothing of the tremendous gift of the Holy Spirit. Tell me, Dear friend, do you know anything of obeying God in love? You obey Him, not because you have to, not because your parents tell you to, but you obey Him because you love Him. You obey Him because it pleases Him. So tell me, do you know anything of God in His truth? Do you go to His Word because you know it's the very Word of God, not the Word of man? Do you sit under the sermons thinking that this is God speaking, not this ugly guy, but God speaking through whatever servant he uses? Do you know anything of enjoying the presence of God, being in prayer and delighting in it? Do you know anything of what we've spoken of today? An an unbeliever won't. An unbeliever will be completely ignorant of all of this. Dear friend, will you therefore acknowledge as of first importance that you aren't filled with the Spirit? Now realize it doesn't have to be that way. Because although you don't know anything of these blessings, these blessings aren't beyond your reach. 
In Acts 2, 38, at Pentecost, the apostle Peter tells his audience how they ought to respond after hearing the gospel preach. He tells them, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. See, Peter is basically saying this, the gift of the Spirit is enjoyed by those who repent of their sins, those who turn away from their iniquity and rebellion, and it's enjoyed by those who, who place their faith and their trust in Jesus, who identify with Him. See, faith and repentance are the only means to enjoy the gift of the Spirit. And so if you're an unbeliever here today, let me plead with you, if you want these, these blessings of knowing God, the God who has made you, turn from your sin and turn to Jesus. And if you do that legitimately, if you do that genuinely, that's the first sign even that the Spirit is starting to work. See, if you genuinely, genuinely deny yourself and your sin and genuinely follow Christ and, and, and obey Him and follow Him, this promise will be yours you will not be left as an orphan, but, you, but He will come to you. Yes, you, even in your unrighteousness, even in all your wickedness, even in all your shame, your guilt, He will come to you. You need to humble yourself before Him even today in faith and repentance. Now, if you're a believer here today, uh, you need to be reminded that the same Spirit who rose Christ from the dead dwells with you today. And the question is, what are you doing with what you have? What are you doing with the gift that Christ prayed for and that he sent? Are you enjoying the gift that God has given you, or are you grieving the Spirit by quenching his work? Are you, are you walking in step with the Spirit, obedient to his word, with his people, or are you gratifying your flesh as you walk in the ways of this world? Are you living according to the Spirit, producing the fruit of the Spirit? Or are you living according to the flesh, only spilling out the, the, the pus and the grime of the vices of this world? See, as disciples of Christ who claim to love Christ, we ought to long for greater experiences of Christ through His Spirit. And this longing should be seen in a greater love for the things of God, a greater love for His Word, for obedience to His Word, for holiness and the hatred of sin. It should be seen in a love for the church, a love for prayer, for fellowshipping with the saints. It should be seen in ministry, good works, acts of mercy. It should be seen in the gospel going out from us to see others coming to Christ. Dear friend, what are you doing with the Holy Spirit? who is indwelling you. Uh, Martin Luther has said, it, has said this of the Spirit. The believing man has the Holy Spirit, and where the Holy Spirit dwells, he will not suffer a man to be idle, but stirs him up to all exercises of piety and godliness and of true religion, to the love of God, to patient suffering in all afflictions, to prayer, to thanksgiving, and to the exercise of love toward all men. See, if the Spirit enables and enlightens and enlivens, then the question is for us, 
Are we living in step with the Spirit? Be comforted, dear believer. Jesus has not left you as an orphan, but also be compelled as a result to live as sons and daughters of the living God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as the sun is full of light, as the ocean is full of water, as the heavens full of glory, may our hearts be full of your Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, we praise you that you have accomplished our full final salvation on the cross of Calvary. We thank you that you have purchased our redemption with your precious blood, that you have given yourself for us in our salvation, but we pray, we plead that you'd give us more of yourself in our sanctification, that you'd fill us with yourself through the Spirit so that as we go out into this world, as we walk and talk, we would walk and talk as those who have been filled with your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for all the work that you do in our lives. Thank you for the blessings you bestow upon us the way you enable us to obey God, to to know our God, to enjoy our God. And we pray that you would stir our affections to again delight and enjoy you and, and the triune God of glory. Forgive us where we have eaten and drunk ourselves full of this world and not delighted in you. Oh, help us, we pray, even on this Pentecost Sunday, to long for a greater experience of, of you and the Son. We pray this all in His name. Amen.